The following resource is from DesiringGod.org. Pastor Russell, Teresa, I got to stay at the mic and move around. Thank you so much for coming. We're so happy that you're here to be a part of this. And thank all of you for coming. This means a lot to Jason, I'm sure, and Kara, and me, and Noel, and everybody who cares about this place. That would be all of you, I presume. The question I want to try to answer in the minutes that I have from 1 John chapter 2 is how did we get here and what will it take to be faithful and fruitful till he comes? So let's pray. Father, show us from your word now the miracle that has been wrought to bring us to this point and what it will take for us to be faithful and fruitful to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, until he comes. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the most important places in the New Testament that addresses the question of location in worship is the story of the woman at the well, let me just read it to you, you don't need to go there. Sir, she said to Jesus, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say, in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. The hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. In other words, instead of answering her geographical question, he changed the categories, right? This mountain or Jerusalem? No, spirit and truth. That's where we worship. Lakeville or downtown or Moundsview? Homes or larger gatherings? Rented space or something we build? Not the decisive question. The hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So how did we get here? And how will we stay faithful and fruitful until he comes? We got here because we have worshiped in spirit and in truth. And we will be faithful until he comes if we worship in spirit and in truth. 
And the question is, what does that mean? And I think John opens it for us, at least for my purposes tonight, most amazingly, in the second chapter of his epistle. And if you have a Bible, I really want you to go there. If you want to reach for one, if you have a Bible on your phone, I want you to go there because we've got some work to do. I want you to understand what it means to worship in spirit and truth. I don't want those to be empty words. I want you to know how did we get here? So we're going to start at verse 18 of 1 John chapter 2. Children. When you get old, you can talk about your church that way. <laughs> Children. It is the last hour. It was the last hour then. It's the last hour today. We're in the last hour since Jesus came. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so many Antichrists have come. They are alive and well in Lakeville, Minneapolis, Moundsview. Many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us. Whoa, these folks were in the church. These Antichrists. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So these folks were in the church. They were not genuine Christians. They had the spirit of Antichrist in the church. We're going to see in a moment what they denied about Christ. And then they went out. Because, John says, they were not of us. And then in verse 20, next verse, he contrasts them with true Christians. And he says this, this is my, my most important verse. But you, you're not them. You're not them. You have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. Now, I'm going to make it just a little more literal because it, it lands with greater force, I think. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. Period. And I take the Holy One here to be Jesus, because in John 6.69, he's called the Holy One of God. In Revelation 3.7, he's called the Holy One, and three or four other places. So John is saying, every one of you, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, every one of you has an anointing from Jesus. And my question for you is, do you know what that is? I'll bet, I'll bet most of you have never talked about yourself that way. I've got an anointing. <laughs> 
from Jesus. If you don't, you're not a Christian. So you need to now, this is a wonderful thing. I don't have a place for a Bible up here, this teeny little thing. He said, no, they've got a pulpit. This is just, it's, it's a space problem, right, Chuck? It's a space problem. We need pulpits. We got Bibles to, to use. The reason this book has 1,200 pages is because we don't know who we are. We got to be told who we are. And it's a wonderful thing that the, the God of the universe does things to us before he tells us what he did to us. Because if he restricted what he did to us to what we know he did to us, we wouldn't be who we are. Did that make any sense at all? <laughs> That's not in the manuscript. That's true. That's true. Every day, Jason is explaining, every Sunday, Jason is explaining who you are. The Bible opens the reality of the miracle of this. So, you all have an anointing. Now, where am I? I just lost my place. The very word Christ, as you know, Christos means anointed, right? Luke 4. 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord was upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. Acts 4.26, he's called the Lord's anointed. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Hebrews 1.9, God anointed you with the oil of gladness. So Christ, the Holy One, in verse 20, is, is anointed. He's the original anointed one from the Father. So the anti-Christs are anti-anointed one. In verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So the, the liar, the, anti, the spirit of the Antichrist lies, and what he lies about is he's not Messiah. He's not the anointed of God. That's the spirit of the Antichrist talking. He's not God's anointed. This is the Antichrist, the anti-anointed. He who denies the Father and the Son. Now, I think the reason in verse 20 that John seems to pull out of nowhere this language of anointing is because he's just talked about the anti-anointed one, anti-Christos. You, but you're not like that. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. In other words, you're not anti-Christoi, you're Christoi, you're anointed. You're little Christs. He's the main anointed. You're the little anointed because he has anointed you. The Holy One has anointed you. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be anointed by Christ, the Holy One? 
Here's what I think it means. I think it means that Christ, Jesus, has poured out, so anointing is like oil or salve or some kind of ointment, has been poured out. Christ has poured out on every Christian something of his own anointing from the Father. And the most complete thing that's said about that is that it is the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. So every believer has come into contact with Jesus. So the oil or the ointment or the salve, the Holy Spirit has touched us. And the effect, this is what's so Amazing here. The effect, according to 1 John 2.20, is that we know. You have an anointing and you all, therefore, know. That's how we got here. The knowing is the result of the anointing. This is the anointing of the man born blind in, in John 9. He was anointed, mud, and he saw. This is the anointing of Revelation 3.18, where your, your eyes are blind and you need to buy from me salve, so I can anoint your eyes so you can see. You see the connection between blindness, salve, anointing, sight, no. Because we're all blind. We're blind as bats spiritually until he touches us with an anointing of the spirit, a salve for our eyes, the, the eyes of our hearts are blind until the anointing that gives sight comes to us. If you have the anointing, which you all do if you're believers, you know. Know what? <laughs> know what? Verse 21. I write to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and no lie is of the truth. So verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know, know what? The truth. Verse 22, who's the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So what you know is the truth. The truth has in it no lie. What lie am I talking about? I'm talking about those antichrists who say he's not the Christ. So what do you know, Christian? What do you know, anointed ones, little Christoi? You know he's the Christ. He's the Christ. Well, guess what? The devil knows that. No, he doesn't. Not like you know it. Remember the devil said to Jesus, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What's the difference between what you know and what he knows? 
you know he's valuable. You know he's precious. You know he's everything. The devil totally denies that. He hates him. That's not the kind of knowledge you've been given. You've been given the knowledge that he is the precious, infinite son of God. You have an anointing, is my summary now of that verse. You have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know this truth that Jesus is truly the infinitely valuable, precious Son of God. That's what you know. That's how we got here. We got here because each of us has been brought to worship in spirit, the anointing and truth that we know. Remember the words of John 4. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such ones. So God's Holy One touched you. Touched every one of you who's a Christian with an anointing. And by this anointing, this sight giving salve of the Spirit on the eyes of your heart caused you to know that Christ is infinitely valuable as the anointed Son of God. That's what he caused you to know. So the anointing Spirit and the knowing truth, Spirit and truth, Spirit and truth. That's how we got here. That happened to you. If that had not happened to you, you would not be a part of this fellowship. You found your way in God's providence to this fellowship of believers and you discovered, my, 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 there are people that really believe this. They believe that anointing precedes knowing. Whoa. I've never heard that before. That's good. No, not good that you hadn't heard it. Good that you found your way to a people who love it. And I'm just assuming that everybody in this room feels, if you hadn't touched me, if he hadn't opened my eyes, I wouldn't know any truth. I wouldn't know any truth different than the devil knows truth, which means I wouldn't know any saving truth. I wouldn't be worshiping. I'm happy to give him all the glory because of the anointing that opened my eyes. You have an anointing from the Holy One and therefore you know, you all know the truth. Last question. So how are we going to stay faithful? Till he comes. Fruitful in these cities. Until he comes. Verses 24 to 27. Bethlehem, Lakeville. And all the rest who are here. Let what you heard from the beginning. 
abide in you. Are you with me? Verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Now notice the shift. John's always doing this. He's always shaking me up. The shift from the anointing to what I I heard. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. So he's focusing on the truth now of verse 21. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Let it be in you. Let what you heard from the beginning be in you. So Bethlehem, stay. How to say it? Yeah, you stay in the truth, but this says, let, let it stay in you. Stay in you rooted and unshaken and precious. So let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That's how you will remain faithful in these southern suburbs and all the rest of the Twin Cities. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So deceivers, antichrists, antichristoi will come and they'll come till Jesus comes. In fact, it's going to get worse. You've heard that Antichrist is coming. Guess what? Many Antichrists have come, meaning it's going to be worse. But let what you heard, let the truth abide in you and you will remain faithful and fruitful in the truth. And then the surprise Verse 27 returns to the anointing. And here's what's crucial to notice. Just like verse 24 says that the truth or what you heard needs to abide in you. Now, verse 27 says the anointing needs to abide in you. But the anointing that you heard from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has been taught, abide in him. Now, John, in that what I consider a pretty complex sentence clarifies two things. Number one, holding fast to the truth of Christ, truth of Christ, what you heard from the beginning, in a way that will have eternal life, will not happen at Bethlehem. Won't happen without holding fast to the anointing. Verse 24, let the truth that you heard from the beginning abide in you. Verse 26, you will not be deceived and ruined and destroyed if the anointing abides in you. 
truth and spirit. Truth and spirit. If we, if we, ever, if we ever start to move, if I were Jason here, I'd talk about two ditches, right? <laughs> and he's just so right, because it's the way the Bible is. You can fall off on every, either side, on every issue. Uh, you can go all spirit. I don't need any of that intellectual stuff. Why do they have a school down there anyway? Or you can go all in intellectually. I don't need that hocus pocus. That's kind of dangerous stuff anywhere. It's all emotional. Either of those ways, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be deceived by the Antichrist. Either one. Truth that we heard from the beginning abiding in us, anointing abiding in us, the Spirit giving the truth what? Here's the second thing that's being clarified here. It talks about not needing to be taught. Whoa, really? You don't need any teacher you have no need, verse 27, you see that in the middle? You have no need that anyone should teach you. And then he clarifies what that means. Like, what? You don't need a Jason. You don't need a Jason. You don't need Sunday school teachers. You don't need small group leaders. You don't need to read books. You got the, the anointing. Now, what it says? Well, I had somebody say that to me one time about 40 years ago. Remember her. Next verse, or middle of 27, his anointing teaches you concerning or about everything. Hmm. The anointing, the Holy Spirit, does not give the content of the truth. You got that by hearing it from the beginning. Let what you heard through apostolic teaching and go on hearing through faithful preaching. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. You have an anointing and you don't need anybody to teach you any longer that it is infinitely precious, infallible truth. The truthfulness of the truth is what the spirit of truth gives you, causes you to see. You see it when you read it or hear it from a faithful preacher. And it abides in you. And the anointing opens the eyes of the heart to see that's beautiful, that's true, that's worth giving my life for. What you heard from the beginning abides in you. That's how you get the content of the truth. And then, what does the anointing do? What does it do? It teaches you about everything. Everything you heard from the beginning. And it is true, and it is no lie. The anointing salve of the Spirit the eyes of our heart enables them to see the self-authenticating glory and truth that we have heard from the beginning. Verse 20, 
you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all, therefore, know. So my conclusion, the faithfulness and fruitfulness of this church depends on two things, truth and spirit. The truth that we've heard from the beginning, abiding in us, this, this is what we've heard from the beginning. You measure Jason by his faithfulness to this. You measure David by his faithfulness to this. This is what we heard from the beginning. And it will abide in us as a church from a pulpit, from Sunday school classes, in counseling sessions. It will abide in us. That's the one thing that will be essential to our faithfulness and fruitfulness. And the second is the anointing will abide in us. The spirit given knowing that Jesus is the infinitely precious son of God. We are Christian hedonists unashamedly, which simply means that we constantly push on knowledge until it is the knowledge of the precious. We are never, never satisfied with facts about God. We always will lean in by the anointing until the fact of his goodness, the fact of his wisdom, the fact of his sovereignty, the fact of his eternality, all the attributes, until the facts are our treasure. We spread a passion, not a vacant knowing, a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. And so the anointing is what guarantees that the facts, the truth will be living and vital and precious and transforming for us. Let me end on a personal note here, though I love all of that stuff personally. I pray for Bethlehem, I want to say every day, virtually. Would you let me, allow me some failure days? I really pray 95% of my days for Bethlehem. And I pray with joy, like Paul, and I pray with thankfulness. Oh, I'm thankful. Oh, I'm so thankful. I worship downtown, by the way, in case you wondered, where is he? We, Noel and I have our pew. Nobody sits here but us. I mean, in our, in our two little spots. And I pray that God would cause his truth and his anointing to remain. And I've told you many times from real pulpits <laughs> that, that, um, what, what, what did I tell you many times? <laughs> it's written here somewhere. Oh yes, I remember. I've told you many times from real pulpits that, that's not written here. That I fully expect to be buried by the elders and the saints 
of Bethlehem. And I wrote Jason about this just a few months ago and said, you're you're appointed. (laughs) So I'm not, you know, fishing for any anybody else. I just want my pastor to preach at my funeral. And I've said it publicly. Noel has to do it, right? Because I fully expect to go first, because that's what men do. They die first. <laughs> I don't know why, because it's not very manly to leave a woman behind, but that's another, another sermon. And I fully expect, Jason, that I will be buried by a people who are faithful, who have an anointing, and who have the truth. And that makes me very happy. And the truth that I mean is that the anointing that is on you and that is on this people is the anointing to know, to know that Jesus Christ is the infinitely valuable, precious, all-satisfying Son of God. Father, this is your work. We are the recipients, the beneficiaries. If this church is going to be faithful, if, if greater friendship is going to be faithful, when Billy's done, he's been so faithful, it's going to be the anointing. It's going to be what has, has been heard from the beginning, both together, rooted, unshakable, abiding in our churches. So we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from DesiringGod.org. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy and share from thousands of resources on our site, including books, sermons, articles, and more, available free of charge. DesiringGod.org exists to help you treasure Jesus more than anything else, because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him.